0: Johnny Bees flying around Little green peas from the ground But biscuit's nice and brown Bring it to Tennessee Farm table Butter beans peas, beets and chard Chickens running in the yard Catfish frying in that lard Bring it to Tennessee Farm table bring it to tennessee farm table
1: welcome to the tennessee farm table podcast and broadcast a show that is dedicated to the people of our appalachian region who produce prepare and preserve our foods and agricultural products this is your hostess amy campbell Our theme song was graciously sung, arranged, and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee. And Emmy Sunshine even has her own store in Loudoun County, and she's also become a very talented visual artist. We are just so proud of this Tennessee talent. Today at our table, we're going to set it with a visit with Chef Shelley Cooper, Executive Chef of the Dancing Bear Appalachian Bistro in Townsend, Tennessee. For his Potluck Radio series, Fred Sossman recalls a Tennessee treasure, St. John Milling Company of Watauga, Tennessee. The happily retired Mary Dede Constantine has a fun segment on the topic of Lebanon bologna, plus a recipe for mile-high bologna pie. And if you're listening by radio, I've got a beautiful gospel song by Lou Harris. I want to say thank you so much for your good company here today at our big Tennessee table. I so appreciate you tuning in. Now let's get started. Chef Shelley Cooper is the executive chef of the Dancing Bear Appalachian Bistro. In Townsend, Tennessee, they describe this restaurant as a celebration of Appalachian cuisine. So today I visit with chef Shelley Cooper. I ask her about her growing up, attitudes on food, and her strong feelings about the use of the word edamame for soybeans in the American South. Now, Shelley's one of the most gracious people you're ever going to meet, and this lady is a hard worker. She cares real deeply about the quality and taste and presentation and the history of the dishes that she prepares. So I hope you enjoy this visit. And I just want to make mention that they do not advertise on this show. And uh, let's get to that right now. So here we are talking with uh, Chef Shelly Cooper. Good to see you today. You too, thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. Well, thank you. We're going to be talking about what you do, you have created an art form out of food.
2: Yeah, well, um, I'm a chef. Food is my life. Uh, I'm very engaged with the entire process of where food comes from, the growing, um, the the taking it from the earth, and then manipulating it with my life experience of cooking and creating the most beautiful um dish that I possibly can for the guests to enjoy. And it's a, a way of sharing. Um, I was introduced to really delicious food um, from my family. Uh, both sides of my family were very into making scratch made food only. We never ate processed. Um, I wasn't even aware that you could buy spaghetti sauce until I was um, probably about 10 or 11 years old. And I went to have a sleepover and um, the the mother was preparing our meal and she opened up a can of prego tomato sauce <laughs> and I thought that I'd been done wrong and I had to tell my mother about it the next day of <laughs> we ate tomato sauce from a jar that was like you know wasn't homemade I, I just never experienced that and uh, another thing is when I was off in college and, uh, living in Charleston, going to culinary school and I'm at the grocery store and I see pimento cheese. And even at that age, my naivety about, um, store-bought ingredients, I did not, I'd never thought that you could purchase pimento cheese. To me, you made it and you had cheddar cheese and you, yeah. So, um, those are funny things that now at this point in my life I I look back on and um but it's the whole fish out of water aspect of if you've never been exposed to it then how are you ever going to know it and that's the blessing that I have is that I was from birth exposed to only homemade homegrown foods and to see my ancestors and um, make homemade cinnamon rolls and you know there wasn't breads were made from scratch and, um, you know, you, you grew the tomatoes and you ate them. You didn't necessarily, you know, eat tomatoes in January unless they were the canned tomatoes that you would put up from the summertime. Mm -hmm. So just innately, um, I, I, realized and everyone around me did that i was the child that would eat anything and was very open-minded with food and my family never held back if we went out to dinner um, it was never a uh, a, you can't have that you're only six years old you're not old enough to appreciate that my family was very open-minded with allowing me if i wanted to order a rare steak at six years old well then that's what I was able to do and if I wanted to eat livers wrapped in bacon then, you know, that's what I was able to do. But my family was obviously very open-minded with food as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to taste everything, you know, as it looked like they were enjoying something delicious. Well, I wanted to experience that too. So that's just innately, uh, that's how I'm made. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, I've always loved eating. I've always been fascinated with food and and the process of it um, and just had a priceless exposure to all of that, um, as I said, from both sides of my family. Mm-hmm. My mother's family is from the Mississippi Delta. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father's family is from Jonas Ridge, North Carolina. So I had two very different southern experiences growing up mm-hmm. and exposures. Uh, my mother's mother, um, who I'm named after, my Nina, as I call her, uh, she um, would have, she had really great relationships with the local farmers in the Delta. And they would call her and let her know when the lady peas were coming in, when the silver queen corn was coming in. And I, we would go to the Scott Streets Farmers Market at um, just, you know, six o'clock in the morning. And I saw her appreciation. And I thought how amazing it was that My grandmother could have afforded to go buy this, have it made already, or have someone do this for her, but her appreciation, um, and, and the, the pride that she took in feeding everyone and the pride that she took in food and the people who grew it had a huge impact to see her show such love and appreciation to these farmers, Mm -hmm. um, And I would spend summers with her um, and we would sit on her porch and we would shuck corn and we would put up filled peas and we would have these amazing feasts and the entire family would come over and there was just so much love and happiness and camaraderie and and those were just you know those are just fond beautiful memories mm-hmm. um, and I was very involved and she allowed me that mm-hmm. she didn't shoo me out of the kitchen she fully appreciated and and I was I was very engaged with it you know I mean she appreciated the little hard worker that I was helping her shut corn yeah.
0: um
2: and and a a wonderful thing would be in the winter time and we would go to her freezer in the uh, garage and pull up corn that we had put up and tomatoes that we had put up and, and peas. And, and we would have these huge summer like feast in the middle of winter and the family would just go berserk because it's like we're eating this beautiful fresh product that Nina put up, but it's January. So Mm
0: -hmm.
2: again, the installation of, 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 you know, just, Food is love. It's sharing. And the the same goes uh, with my father's family um, in Jonas Ridge, North Carolina. Um, My great-grandparents had a big farmhouse, um, a lot of land, and it's just heavenly, beautiful. Um, uh, Coming from Memphis is where I, I was raised and we would go up to the mountains in the summertime and the temperature would just be so beautiful and cool and damp and it just was a very different thing from the sweltering heat of memphis um and the smell of the moss and the air and the you know it's just really amazing um so my my uh, family there we would we had this enormous amount of land and we would dig potatoes and beets and we had apple trees and it was just amazing and then there was a stream out behind that we would go catch trout and uh, everything was just so simple a coal burning stove and the smells of of the earth and the rawness of the cooking of the cast iron And, you know, when you when you light a coal burning uh, stove and just the smells and everything that come along with that and no modern conveniences, it was everything, you know, every morning we had to shovel the coal to build the fires, just to boil the water to like have coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, So things in the mountains were more simple and more raw and rustic um, and archaic. And no dishwashers, no no electric ovens, um, and that really instilled an appreciation for how much pride, when you are feeding your family and you are growing the crops, of how much effort goes into creating a beautiful product, those beautiful beets, the beautiful potatoes, and it was all natural. I mean, it wasn't, we didn't have, you know, it was just us and, and my relatives and the, you know, the flower garden was just beautiful. And, um, the material wealth was not there. Um, but the, 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 the spiritual wealth was just enormous of how much effort was put into creating these massive feasts every single day
1: if you've just joined us, you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. We're visiting today with executive chef at Dancing Bear Appalachian Bistro in towns in Tennessee, chef Shelley Cooper. After a short break, we'll hear about Shelley's feelings on the use of the word edamame for soybeans in the American South. Hey.
2: you know, hey, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I used to sell to the previous chef, and she had all these beautiful veggies and such, and then she said, so do you have any interest in doing anything with edamame? Edamame is soybeans, and I'm like, I love edamame, but here, I don't call them edamame, I call them soybeans, because we're in the South, and that's what, I mean, it's one of our big crops. So, so taking that ingredient that is indigenous to this area and unfortunately in modern times people only equivocate that to going to the Japanese restaurant and that's so unfortunate and it it chaps me because that's here and us in this part of the world. So, so, So a lot of people come in and they see I try to educate the servers of, we don't call it edamame, it's soybeans. It depends on what part of the world you're in. Is it a pimento, is it a paprika, is it, you know, what is it? And it's all relevant to what part of the world, but anyway, because it became very unpopular and undesirable in this part of the world, soybeans did, so it became very popular to go to the Asian restaurant and get your soybean appetizer, your edamame appetizer. So that's one thing that I find so pleasantly surprising when people get turned on to this and, wait, those are edamame. No, they're soybeans. They've been here for forever. So.
1: And if you just joined us, you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. Thanks for tuning in here today, and we've been visiting with Executive Chef of the Dancing Bear Appalachian Bistro, Chef Shelley Cooper As always, links to Shelly and all of my guests are always available on my website right there where the podcast also resides tennesseefarmtable.com under the link that says listen to the show And up next, we hear from the happily retired Mary D.D. D. Constantine formerly the food editor of the Knoxville News Sentinel with her recipe for mile-high bologna pie Followed by Fred Sossman's segment on St. John Milling Company of Watauga, Tennessee. And he'll recount its remarkable history through the voice of the late George St. John.
3: When it comes to luncheon meat, I have a weakness for bologna. The only thing better than a fried bologna sandwich is a fried bologna sandwich made by my daddy. During a recent trip to the Muddy Pond community in Monterey, Tennessee, I was introduced to a different kind of bologna. Different for me, anyway. It was called Lebanon Bologna. Wow! What a wonderful product. It's sweet, it's tangy, it's savory, it's smoky, all at the same time. Of course, I had to do a little research on the lunch meat, and I discovered that it's a traditional Pennsylvania Dutch product that's been produced for more than a 100 years. So, heck, where have I been? If you're interested in trying some of it uh, and can't find it locally, there are plenty of places online for you to find it or take a trip to Muddy Pond. They'll be happy to sell it to you. Whether you have the Lebanon bologna or just your standard variety, you can't go wrong by using it in this Mile High Bologna Pie recipe. I found the recipe from America's Best Lost Recipe Cookbook and apparently it was created by a young homemaker who was on a tight budget. Here's how you make it. First set your oven rack to the middle position and set your oven to 425 degrees. Heat one tablespoon of vegetable oil in a nonstick skillet and working in batches cook a pound of deli bologna preferably sliced in about 1 half inch thick rounds. Once you've got all your bologna browned, set it aside and add one more tablespoon of oil to the skillet. Slice up one small onion and saute that onion in the skillet. Then you need to take two large russet potatoes that you've peeled half and sliced thin and two carrots that have been peeled and sliced thin Put those in the skillet and cook them over medium heat for about 8 to 10 minutes until browned. Then add two minced cloves of garlic and a fourth of a cup of water. Cover and cook that baby for 15 to 20 minutes until the potatoes are just beginning to soften. Stir in one cup of peas. I leave that out, but you can do that if you want. And then season the whole thing with salt and pepper. Remove the vegetables from the stove and let them get cool. Now, while they're cooling, you need to make your favorite pie dough recipe and make enough for a double crust. Roll one 12-inch circle and place in a 9-inch deep dish pie plate. Spoon all those warm vegetables into the pie shell and then arrange the bologna on top of the vegetables. Now, I layer my bologna with slices of sharp cheddar cheese, but you don't have to do that if you don't want to. Cover the bologna with the top layer of pie dough, and then you cut four little two-inch slits into it before you brush it with a beaten egg. Bake, again, for 25-degree oven for about 30 minutes. And then you remove it from the oven, let it cool for five minutes or so, cut that baby, and enjoy it. Now, I will tell you the recipe says to serve it with ketchup, but truly, you don't need it. This is Mary Constantine with the Tennessee Farm Table.
4: This is Potluck Radio. I'm Fred Saussman. St. John Mill was the center of activity in Watauga, Tennessee, from the late 1770s until its closure in 2011. It was the oldest business in Tennessee, and the state's bicentennial celebration began there in 1996. George St. John's grandfather bought the mill in 1866. I visited with George while the mill was still operating. He was 89 years old at the time. There was lots of grain here. There was tremendous market to the south, Knoxville, Loudon, Cleveland, Chattanooga. The Reed House in Chattanooga bought stuff from this mill. This was called at that time the breadbasket of the south. This area didn't take much damage from the Civil War. Jeremiah Dungan came down from Bucks County, Pennsylvania to open the mill in the 1770s. Well, they were hunting falling streams, small streams that they could harness. They couldn't harness Watauga River. And Jeremiah Dungan paid taxes in 1779 in Jonesboro. He paid it in pounds. With his degree in electrical engineering from the University of Tennessee, George St. John modernized the old mill. I came here in 35, so I guess I got here in the worst of times because there were too many mills. But George found a niche, milling sweet feed for horses and scratch feed for chickens. George St. John died in 2008 at the age of 95. St. John Mill closed three years later. I'm Fred Sausman.
1: Thank you so much for your great company here today on the Tennessee Farm Table. Hope you can join us again right back here next Saturday at 9 a.m. on the radio dial at WDVX.com out in Knoxville or anytime on our podcast, TennesseeFarmTable.com. Our theme song was written by myself and sung, arranged, and performed by Emmy Sunshine of East Tennessee. More information about Emmy Sunshine at EmmySunshine.com That is spelled T-H-E-E-M-I-Sunshine.com. We hope you'll reach out and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and also our podcast on TennesseeFarmTable.com. And please tell your friends about us. We want to say thank you to WDVX Radio out of Knoxville, Tennessee. They are a true community-supported radio station that does not receive funding from universities or government agencies. The community and businesses support WDVX. Through an agreement with WDVX, they are our media partner, and the Tennessee Farm Table Show is broadcast on that station every Saturday at 9 a.m. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.